God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. What we're going to look at today is not holding the head. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 19 we read, and not holding the head. And of course, this is in reference to Jesus Christ. From which or from whom all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increase with the increase of God. Men will, if given the chance, hold on to almost anything, whether it be religious rites, doctrines, church affiliation, or even most commonly, simply themselves, rather than holding on to He who is the source of all spiritual power in life, Jesus Christ. Yet when this is done, and men do not hold the Son of God in His rightful place, then all the life and spiritual nourishment which comes from Him will be lost. It is also reasonable to consider that there is a strong possibility if Christ is not a man's head, then there is little chance that he is a member of Christ's redeemed church. For none can have separation from the Son of God and be misled to think that any of God's promises are actually available to them. As God has determined that for heaven to be gained and its blessings to be received, then fellowship with God's Son must be possessed. Thus, if Jesus is not held in his rightful position, then it is impossible to assume that any promise of God through him can be ours. Failure to hold the head in the end, separating men completely from all that which God has purposed should come through his Son. See, it is through Christ that believers are saved, their hearts transform, and the church receives its growth. Hence, whenever men stop holding Christ in his rightful position, then all that God has purposed should come through him dries up, producing men finding themselves empty of spiritual fervor, holy religious zeal, and the pleasant fruits of God's Spirit. Boring, dull, lifeless, and dead service is a sign that Jesus Christ no longer is held in his proper place by those also who, though may continue to use his name, are not under his direction. Men, therefore, without holding Christ, left withholding some form of a lifeless religion that can neither hold nor sustain any true spiritual transformation in people's lives. Jeremiah 2.13 For my people, and God is talking to his people, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Israel's first sin was forsaking the fountain of living waters that is God, which will also include forsaking His living spirit. Their second sin was their attempting to try and keep God's spiritual life in the human containers of religious institution. Teaching us that men cannot receive something from God and go their own way and devise their own religion 
and still think that God's supernatural power will remain in it. For once men separate themselves from Christ, who is the living water and is the bread of life, then regardless, even if they use his name, there will be no spiritual fruit nor life which can be born. Therefore, whenever men forsake God, the fountain of living waters, they will find it impossible to keep any true life of God in themselves. Disconnecting from the head, causing men to lose everything, including divine fellowship, along with the spiritually satisfying fruit of the Holy Spirit. Simply because Jesus is for His church, their entire source of all heavenly graces and blessings. Do you get that? He is the fountain. And as such, if men want to drink of God and maintain spiritual growth, power, and life, then they must abide in Christ. For without Christ, no man can indeed do anything. And in John chapter 15, verse 5, now we read the Lord speaking. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The entire life of God flows through Jesus Christ to his people. Barnes on this verse. The figure means that God gave or appointed his son to be the source of blessings to man. That all grace descends through him and that God takes care of all the branches of this vine. That is, of all who are by faith united to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus and all his church, he feels the deepest interest and it is an object of great solicitude that his church should receive these blessings and bear much fruit, end quote. Because Jesus is the vine, then if a man represented here as a branch be either separated or removed from Christ, the spiritual life of God will be lost. Because without having connection to the Son of God, men absolutely can bring forth no heavenly fruit on their own. Jesus instructing those who are humble enough to hear his words that without abiding in himself, people can do nothing on their own that will prove profitable in life. There is therefore no earthly substitution which can replace Jesus Christ's place as head of all the things of God. So that without men abiding in the Son of God and bringing forth spiritual fruit through Him, then all that remains is for men to dry up, die, and be cast in a fire. Thus, without connection to Christ, none of the life of God, whether it be in this life or the next, can be passed on. John chapter 15, verse 6 now. If a man abide not in me, he the man is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus had said that without me you can do nothing. And now he states that if a man abide not in me, 
He is cast forth as a branch and is withered. His last state also must be that he is of no more value than to be cast in a fire. Thus, if a man does not hold Christ, then the life of God will seep out of his life. He will wither. And as a result, spiritual death will replace what could have been a thriving spiritual existence. Ellicott on this verse. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. The thought passes from the fruitful to the sterile branch, from the man who abideth to the man who will not abide in Christ. In the natural vineyard, such a branch was cast forth and then withered and was gathered with others into bundles and burned. The vivid picture illustrates the fearful history of a man who willeth not to abide in Christ, end quote. Barnes on this verse. If a man abide not in me, if a man is not truly united to him by faith and does not live with a continual sense of his dependence on him, this doubtless refers to those who are professors of religion but who have never known anything of true and real connection with him, is cast forth, is withered, is dried up. A branch cut off withers. So of a soul unconnected with Christ. However fair it may have appeared, and however flourishing when a profession of religion was first made, yet when it is tried... And it is seen that there was no true grace. Everything withers and dies. The zeal languishes. The professed love is gone. Prayer is neglected. The sanctuary is forsaken. And the soul becomes like a withered branch, reserved for fire on the last great day. Men gather them. The word men is not in the original and should not have been in the translation. The Greek is, they gather them. A form of expression denoting simply, they are gathered, without specifying by whom it is done. From Matthew 13, verses 40 and 42, it seems that that this will be done by angels. The expression means, as the withered and useless branches of trees are gathered for fuel, so shall it be with all hypocrites and false professors of religion, end quote. See, men cannot choose to forsake connection to the Son of God and not have divine spiritual consequences for it. As he who has not connection to the Son will ultimately be found fit for nothing but being burnt in the fire of God. If men were wise... Therefore, they would understand that whenever God's Spirit is departed from and His presence is forsaken, all true spiritual life will be lost. Imagine for a moment these verses we have just read in your mind where a branch or limb is removed from a tree. Can this branch on its own and without roots to support it continue to bear fruit? or maintain life through itself. 
Well, this is exactly what happens when prideful and sinful men break, or worse yet, never think they need relationship with Jesus Christ. They become the withered and then severed branch, wholly incapable of sustaining life on their own, let alone bearing any good spiritual fruit. And because they have not the life of Christ in them, they become worthless to both God and man. He then, who will not hold to the head and thinks himself sufficient in holding something else in Christ's place, ultimately shall be deemed by God as of no more use than firewood. As the branch must abide in the vine in order for God's life-giving properties to be passed on to it, so also must each and every member in Christ's body, once they are connected to the head through being baptized with the Holy Spirit, maintain connection to Christ in order for personal increase. Back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. And not holding the head, from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together increase with the increase of God, from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. What is seen here, as we return to our theme verse, is that the joints and bands, because of their possessing divine connection to the head, receive spiritual nourishment and grow through him. Consequently, since the body is connected to Christ, which is in itself a supernatural act of God at spiritual conception, then from Christ, the increase of God is able to be transmitted and transported to each and every individual member through Christ. Remembering also, like in the natural, physical, and earthly body, even the most distant members, like the fingers and toes, can send and receive communication from the head. Thus, no matter the member in Christ's body, whether they be great or small, each has direct connection to the head. Christ's body is composed of Christ being the head, and we, because of our connection to Him, form the rest of His body, which is, because of the Spirit of Christ in each individual member in the body, a living spiritual organism. This body of Christ is also spoken of by another analogy as God's temple because God dwells in it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Again, from Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Barnes on this verse. From whom the whole body, or from Christ, the whole body, the church compared with the human body. The idea is that as the head in the human frame conveys vital influence, rigor, motion, 
to every part of the body. So Christ is the source of life, rigor, and energy and increase to the church. The sense is the whole human body is admirably arranged for growth and rigor. Every member and joint contribute to its healthful and harmonious action. One part lends vigor and beauty to another, so that the whole is finely proportioned and admirably sustained. All depend on the head with reference to the most important functions of life, and all derive their vigor from that. So it is in the church. It is as well arranged for growth and vigor as the body is. It is as beautifully organized in its various members and officers as the body is. Everything is designed to be in its proper place. And nothing by the divine arrangement is lacking in its organization to its perfection. Its officers and its members are in their places what the various parts of the body are with reference to the human frame. The church depends on Christ as the head to sustain, invigorate, and guide it as the body is dependent on the head, end quote. With Christ as the head, then when members function according to his placement and direction, then the body through the Son of God's coordination is built up in God's love. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now if God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him, God. Thus, when the body of Christ is being led by him and his spirit, then the members, through his direction, will edify each other in love. The ultimate purpose of the head's direction, therefore, is to lead and organize the individual members in his body to so exercise themselves and do their own work and tasks so that the entire body of Christ is being built up in God's love. Through Christ is the body fitly joined together and from him and from his organization, the members in their functioning capacities build one another up in divine love. The head's aim then is seen to be the enrichment of his celestial body through the impartation and spread of God's love. When Jesus is therefore present and held in his rightful position, then the final result will be the expansion of love in God's heavenly body. Through Christ's reign shall God's love be spread when also each and every member responds to and is led by the Holy Spirit. No doubt this should teach us that if love is absent in either an individual or a group of men claiming themselves to be Christian, then connection to Christ must already be lost. For when the true church of God is led by the Lord Jesus, then love shall abound throughout it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity or love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. 
This is the mark of Christ's presence. When love is being spread and received throughout the entire body of Christ. Hence, even though the church remains on earth, through the Holy Spirit and Christ's direction from heaven, it can still be nourished with divine love. The Spirit's work also has for one of its main purposes to produce and develop God's love in people's hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by or through the process of the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It is thus through the agency of the Holy Spirit that Christ's members are infused with God's love. The pulpit commentary on Ephesians 4.16. The result is that the church is built up, for love is the element of spiritual progress. That love fills the renewed nature. The church has been defined as an institution that has truth for its nourishment, love for its atmosphere, and Christ for its head, end quote. How much then a church grows into living in God's love reveals its true spiritual progress. For no church nor any individual can progress in spiritual things if God's spiritual love is not continuing to grow and flourish. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So also, the more the body of Christ manifests God's love, then the more that we shall see that it will be being remade in God's image. It is also only when men walk in divine love that they can hope to remain without offense at the day of Christ. Simply because only if men love will they depart from sin. God is love so that when men are truly connected to God through His Son, then love shall be that which best defines their character. Through holding the head will Christ's love be spread so that each member of His body continues to be transformed into the image of the Father. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 now. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. See, love is not part of man's unregenerate nature, and as such, not until men make Jesus their Lord and are filled with this Holy Spirit will they truly know divine love. Hence, without faith in the Son of God, men will know nothing of the deep and spiritual love of God, a love which far surpasses the shallow and disloyal love of carnal men. The natural man, knowing also only love of self. This is why not until true love for God and our brother is visible can we know that we have any real relationship with God at all. Benson on this verse. For love is of God, is from Him as its source, and particularly enjoined by Him as a duty of the greatest importance and of absolute necessity. 
in order to be our pleasing and intimidating him. And everyone that loveth is born of God. Everyone in whose heart this divine principle reigns and conquers the selfish and contrary passions shows by it that he is regenerated and transformed into the divine image and that he knoweth God, end quote. God's word then plainly teaches us that only those who possess divine love know God. And since God is love, it is foolish to assume that those who do not love know anything of God at all. For if they did, then love would be the driving force in their life. Therefore, it makes no difference what a man may think he knows doctrinally or wrongly assumes he knows spiritually. Because if he knows not love, he knows not God. As love is the biblical standard in order to determine whether or not someone has been born of God and if they are a true child of God. Hence, when men are truly saved, they will receive from Christ and the impartation of the Holy Spirit a love like Christ's. It is also reasonable to assume that since Christ's two commandments center on men loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the loving their neighbors as themselves, then love is what Christ's Spirit will lead men into. As the Spirit that Christ sends must agree with and will help men to walk in His command to love. Thus, if men are truly being led by the Spirit of God, then divine love will be their first and most visible fruit. Where the Spirit of God therefore dwells, you will see God's love developing in men. No man also should think he possesses the spiritual nature of Christ if love for God and his fellow man is not the dominant characteristic in his soul. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Barnes on this verse. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Though we cannot see him, yet there is a way by which we may be assured that he is near us and that he even dwells in us. That way is by the exercise of love, end quote. Love then is the proof God dwells in us and Christ reigns over us. Love for our brethren, the tangible proof that we have sincere connection to God and are fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Wherever, therefore, Christ reigns, love will be spread. Barnes on this verse. And his love is perfected in us, is carried out to completion. That is, our love for each other is the proper exponent of love to him reigning in our hearts. The idea here is not that we are absolutely perfect or even that our love is perfect, whatever may be true on these points, but that this love to others is the proper carrying out of our love towards him. That is, without this, our love to him would not have accomplished what it was adapted and designed to do. 
unless it produced this effect, it would be defective or incomplete. The general sense is this. We claim to have the love of God in our hearts or that we are influenced and controlled by love. But however high and exalted that may seem to be as exercised towards God, it would be defective. It would not exert a fair influence over us unless it led us to love our Christian brethren. It would be like the love which we might possess to have for a father if it did not lead us to love our brothers and sisters. True love will diffuse itself over all who come within its range and will thus become complete and entire, end quote. One of the characteristics that someone is of a family is that they love those of the same family. Hence, it is only when Christians love their brethren that we know that they are of the family of God. It is impossible then for men to claim love for God without love for their brother. As any love which does not love the brethren is defective love in God's eyes. Thus, not until genuine and sincere love for our brother in Christ is felt, can we know we are of the family of God. Being born again through Christ, bringing with it love for those also of his family. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 49, And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. Love for the brethren, therefore, proving that God is our Father and His children are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The mark of a true Christian and one who has proper relationship with both God and Christ will be seen by men having sincere and genuine affection and connection to their brothers and sisters in Christ. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if, if you have love one to another. Ellicott on this verse. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He gives them a bond of union by which they should always be linked to him and to each other in the principle of love. The followers of the great teachers and rabbis had their distinctive marks here was the distinctive Christian mark, which all men should be able to read. It is instructive that the characteristic mark of Christianity should thus be asserted by its founder to consist, not in any formulary or signs, but in the love which asserts the brotherhood of man. The apologists of the first centuries delighted in appealing to the striking fact of the common love of Christians which was a new thing in the history of mankind. And while the church has sometimes forgotten the characteristic, the world never has. By their love for each other, for mankind, for God, is it known or denied that men who call themselves Christians are really Christ's disciples, end quote. Through the manifestation and demonstration of love, Christ said, men would prove themselves to the world to be his disciples. For those who have Christ as their head will love both God and man as Jesus himself also does, teaching as well the contrary truth that 
If men do not love, they cannot be Christ's true disciples. For the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ will always be not what is being said, but rather if love is actually present. As no man can properly represent the Savior if love is not manifest in himself. Barnes on John 13, 35. By this shall all men, you shall not be known by special rites or habits, not by a special form of dress or manner of speech, not by special austerities and unusual customs like the Pharisees, the Essenes, or the scribes, but by deep, genuine, and tender affection. And it is well known it was this which eminently distinguished the first Christians and was the subject of remark by the surrounding pagans. See, said the pagan, see how they love one another. They are ready to lay down their lives for each other. Alas, how changed is the spirit of the Christian world since then. Perhaps of all the commands of Jesus, the observance of this is that which is least apparent to a surrounding world. It is not so much that they are divided into different sects, for this may be consistent with love for each other, but is the want of deep-felt genuine love towards Christians, even of their own denomination. The absence of genuine self-denial, the pride of rank and wealth, and the fact that professed Christians are often known by anything else rather than by true attachment to those who bear the same. Christian name and image. The true Christian loves religion wherever it is found, equally in a prince or in a slave, in the mansion of wealth or in the cottage of poverty, on the throne or in the hut of want. He overlooks the distinction of sect, of color, of nations. And wherever he finds a man who bears the Christian name and manifests the Christian spirit, he loves him. And this, more and more as the millennium draws near, will be the special badge of the professed children of God. Christians will love their own denominations less than they love the spirit and temper of the Christian, wherever it may be found, end quote. A man then will know that he is a true Christian by the loyalty and divine love he will share with those who have the same spirit as his own. It shall not be then that we are simply loyal to those who are of the same denomination as ourselves, but that our greatest connection is to those who share the same spirit of Christ as ourselves. Hence, true Christian love will be seen by having a deep love and spiritual empathy for those also born of Christ. By this simple measure, it will also be seen that when men have abandoned love, they have abandoned Jesus Christ as well. For no man can truly be subject to the Son of God and be under His reign and not desire more than anything else in this life to both live and walk in Christ's love. Simply because nothing is more natural to the true Christian than pursuing the love that the Spirit of God will produce in his heart. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be therefore followers of God 
as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Hence, when you observe men so easily departing from each other after years of sharing the same church or group or denomination, you can know they never shared the same love. Spirits of division, that purpose to divide the body of Christ, therefore, will prove that there never was the love of Christ. For he who has no trouble separating from one he once called his brother by his actions proves that he never held any true love in his heart. Proving also, because of the absence of divine love in himself, that Jesus Christ is not his head. For whenever men fail to hold Jesus Christ in his rightful position, in their hearts and lives, then love will be the first fruit missing. A spiritual fruit, which also will be found to be that which indicates a man being saved or not. Amen.